0: This is One Hate Minute.
1: Drop of a hat, these guys were rock and roll. What's your name? Wayne Grove. These look like gang bangers, working the local 7-Eleven either. Robbery, homicides, take it out,
0: Give me all you got! This and- Give me all you got! I do what I do best. I take scores. You do what you do best. I'm trying to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's L.A. crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard. And joining me, I think for his third or fourth episode of One Heat Minute, is the man behind um, pretty much the best... uh, summation of everything that you can possibly stream in your face in Australia, Binger. Um, He also writes for The Monthly and he writes for Fairfax Media so you would hear him and uh, read about him all over the place on Radio National too. Um, He is the awesome Craig Matheson and a primo heat expert, primo, like one of the tip top guys, one of the best guys in the crew. If I spotted him in a kitchen cooking on the line a burger and I'd... You know, a driver had suddenly dropped out. He would be a guy who had been in Folsom D-Wing with me that I could trust at the drop of a hat to do an episode. And what a better episode of this show for him to do than the 112th minute of Michael Mann's 1995 Crime Opus Heat. Craig, welcome back, mate. Great to chat. Blake,
1: to. It's, it's a pleasure. Although the character you just compared me to is already dead.
0: <laughs> so, and, I'm and, a little worried. <laughs> and, and, and there's more of this crew to die yet. Um, So we're, we're still... Comparisons aside, quality of person good. So look, Craig. Um, for for those of you guys, go back, listen to many episodes. Craig is usually the person who I um, ask to follow big guests um, because of his primo heat knowledge and just being literally one of the best film critics in Australia. If you don't know Craig at CM Screens on Twitter, start following him now. At the beginning of this episode, and you'll know that it's worth it by the end. We are in the the thick of the chaos of this glorious heist scene, and I think we just said, just pride hitting record, that this is like the momentum-shifting sh- momentum heist minute. So, they've had they got, the crews have the tactical advantage. It was a nice sort of ebb and flow at the beginning with the cops, but as soon as they started going towards that line, that infamous line, that blockade of uh, cars that just gets grated like cheese, Craig, at the end of the road, it just seemed like, oh, this crew is going to get away. There's just nothing that can stop them. But... They get split up. Val Kilmer, the beautiful Val Kilmer, gets hit in the... I think it's the clavicle he gets, or at least he breaks it. It's his shoulder, something like that, that area. He gets yes. hit um, in just the preceding seconds to this minute, and then chaos changes. The, the 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 momentum shifts in this game, and the cops start to get the upper hand. So we're going to watch this minute, and then we're going to come back and talk about it with you guys. And, uh, and I'm sorry for those in the heist minutes. Slightly different... Uh, the rest of this entire sprawling film where you get to sort of really hone in on the dialogue. I know that in your cans, if you're listening to these episodes, the heist minutes are just absolute ludicrous chaos and gun sounds. And so if you've got any bleed in your headphones and you're sitting on the train or in your commute, and maybe you're driving on a freeway right now, the people next to you are possibly going to think you're firing an assault rifle. So I'm sorry about that, but just have a listen to what we're listening to now, and uh, we're going to come back and talk about it in just a sec. Some chaos, right?
1: <laughs> I was going to say take cover before you listen to that one. <laughs> take,
0: um, take cover indeed. God, it's it's it, this is where, so there's a couple of things that really strike me in this minute, Craig, I don't know about you, but it's like the first minute that you really go, Neil McCauley does not care about you or your family when it comes to his survival. Like when those, that like sort of sociopath survival instincts happen, it's like, He'll fire into a crowd he doesn't care what collateral damage is happening right then and there, like in this sequence there's like you know that nice guy who was standing in the bank saying i'm not going to hurt any of you this is the bank 's money this isn't your money like right now this is his true colors. the mask's off one of his guys is hurt you 're in big trouble
1: well I think he's actually deliberately firing at people because I think he knows that's the that's the technique to to you know create panic but also to um distract the police to distract to distract vincent who's who, you know who's torn between shooting back and um you know getting people down so you know he's he's trying to create maximum chaos i think he wants wounds and terror and indecision on the other side so you know it's the total thing of his care only extends to to chris and his crew in this case and to chris in particular at this very point so any anything else goes
0: anything goes yeah it's this is where, like, um, a couple of times, some some folk have, like, commented, it's like, although this movie does its best to not glorify gun violence, like, in a traditional sense, you know, you see, like, you know, something, I'm just thinking off the top of my head, something around the same era as, like, Desperado, like, there's nothing sexier than Antonio Banderas, like, wielding guns, diving through the air, and this movie doesn't do any of that. And there's nothing scarier than these guns firing, but I almost, and we we, we get such great little chunks in this minute, we're going to go through every bit of it, but there's almost nothing scarier than like a whole bunch of folk, you know, especially, you know, you and I know it's like you're walking out of a shopping center with kids or something like that. And it's just chaos anyway because you're just trying to wrangle people to get back to the car in a full trolley. There's just nothing more chaotic than the prospect of these guns who have just seen absolutely just shred things to pieces, coming into a thick crowd of people all, like, trying to get in and out. And then the the panic, like, none of the – even the pros are panicking, and we'll we'll see a little bit of that in this minute, but it's just like there's nothing scarier than that, than that idea. Like you said, terror, I think, is a great word you used to describe. It's like terror in these moments. But, like – all through this minute, there's just so much good stuff. You know, even the first couple of seconds, we see we see De Niro's Neil laying down cover fire to the blockade, clipping one last cop. They were about seven seconds into the minute. He chews up a few more things, tells Chris to get up. Chris is in a really bad way. I think Kilmer does such a great job of doing this. You're about 16, 17 seconds um, into the minute. Neil ducks around the corner, and I just love there's a pause. It's at the 21st second of this minute. Where you where man sort of appraises these cars all smoking. It takes about six it's it's only five seconds, but in my mind when I remember this heist, I always remember that coda of like you see those fresh police cars, you see that blockade pull up at the beginning of the heist, and it's just there, it's pristine, they look like oh, they're boxed in. But now it's just like <laughs> it's just chewed into oblivion. There's just nothing left.
1: The aftermath coder, and I think the great thing about it is, it's is almost that sound of sizzling. Like yes. there's so many sounds have gone into engine blocks and cars, that you can almost hear the metal overheating. Yes, and, and that, I mean, that aftermath montage, like as you said, five or six seconds, which I mean is so influential. I mean, the Matrix did it. So many, so many films and TV shows have done it since that sort of after effect. Um, but it's it's amazing, and, and there's so many great little bits in those. Again, in that first fifteen seconds, like you know, it the way that you feel the ge, the spatial geography of the scene breaking off. Yes, you always have a sense of where people are. Of it, it's sort of roughly moving left to right, to the you know the crew towards the police line with the detectives behind them to, moving down to the rear, and just and just the way you know, man. It's a a panoramic sort of scene for most of it, looking at long ways, tracking shots, looking over shoulders. But then that way he flips the camera low down to get Chris's point of view for a second with Neil above him. Yes. Neil spinning around and to to put his hand out is such a powerful sort of shot that just in in all the chaos just gives the physical connection between them such sort of specificity. It's quite quite amazing. I think it's just one of those things where man just does little things that just connect so intrinsically to the whole of the film.
0: Yes. And I was just going to say to you, it's the first time, and especially in Vincent's run here, which sort of happens where you get like a little bit of him running, it's the first time where you really feel like the cops are getting to take a direct route towards the crims because the whole point of their amazing, you know, what feels like a dance, this balletic sort of spraying of bullets, is that they're just dispersing them constantly. So Vincent's crew, and um, you know, obviously Schwartz gets hit. Um, Bosco is down in that, you know, f- you know, phenomenal and frightening and memorable death mask scene where you see his face just have this eerie death mask, and they just feel like they're constantly just going to the sides of that of that arena. Like they're not being allowed to be pushed in like a vice, but in this moment, yeah, like you said, the, the big part of it is once Michael breaks off, it's like one of the first times that they're not all together in the frame. You don't actually see them all. And so that now this breakup and changing the angles of the camera, that sort of very deliberate, um, uh, that deliberate disorientation is just working so perfectly. And like you said, it's like that, intimacy of like bringing someone in like into chris and seeing changing those angles it's just it's making all that difference and even in that coda scene there's a great shot of like a poor cop who you you've seen him get hit and you sort of just Mm. seeing you're seeing his hands and his torso on his back yeah from his back you're not even seeing his face but he's sort of nursing variety of wounds you don't know if it's like glass or a bullet or whatever but i you just you did this guy sort of you know squirming on the ground there's just something i don't you know it's that taking that breath at the end of that to kind of that's this is like that is literally punctuating everything we've seen before now music you know score comes back in we haven't talked about that Mm -hmm. yet but like there's been no score since chris shaheles's first shot and now you know the drama of this you know allows space for for it to be underscored with a little bit of music in the in the coming sort of beats of the scene
1: Mm. And I, I think this, that, that Coda is also crucial because maybe it's that point where you go, as thrilling, as cinematically thrilling as this is and how much you, we're invested in the characters, just in those few seconds you realise they're, they're capable of incredible destruction. Yes. They will, there is no second of doubt that, that they will carry that out and there are huge and endless violent repercussions to their philosophy, to their professionalism, you know the the skill and the alarm and the the victories are still there, but they're just only they're they're only part of part of these men. There's also the complete cold bloodedness to, yeah. as as you've seen before in the initial heist of you know leave no witnesses. When it comes down to it, you know we're looking at people whose outlook on life is so. Tightly knitted to their own concerns, that other people literally can die. <laughs> yes, you know, it's, not, it's not you know you can die is not a is not a random phrase for these people. or drop dead. It's it's a it's just what happens if 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 you're on the wrong side of them in any situation or not on their side.
0: Yeah, it's 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 finally consequence because the philosophy is so alluring. You know, dedication, commitment, and discipline you know, in, in all facets of life, like philosophically, whatever your pursuits are, it's, you know, it, um, even in the, some would say madness of this show, like there's a discipline to what we're doing, you know, and you guys listening along and following along and enjoying the film and that's what connects with us is that, is that connection. But in these moments and just taking a breath, it's like at the end of this alluring philosophy, these guys are killers. And Michael Mann's like, you know, as much as I can empathise with these guys, and that's the, the the emotional journey I want you to go on. Make no bones about it, <laughs> you, you they don't matter. You don't matter to these guys. You know, we are all those people walking out of that supermarket. And Neil doesn't care that he's just spraying lead. He doesn't care if he hits a cop. Good, because that means he's not going to get shot in the back when he's trying to get Chris into a car. But he doesn't care how many people he lays waste to in that scene. And I think that man, it, that being really forthright and like. Not making it too sexy, I think, is just what makes it's just what makes it, it makes you that I don't know. It's like that perfect amount of discomfort you have with these characters. It's like they're never quite like you know. It's never that you know bad guy that's you know always perfect. It's, you've got to you've got to see that little bit that those dark edges, those real edges, where it's authentic to just really sting. And I think these guys are just so great for that. I love it.
1: There's no redemptive. Drive in heat on either side. No, <laughs> there's no, there's what it, what the film does is open them up, and their complexity, and the many sides they have. But it it never tries to avoid the darkest sides, or the the sides that can that can scare you, or the sides that condemn them in some way. Yeah, and and that's the richness of it. That's what that's when we when we talk about a crime epic. I think that's what we really mean. We that the, the people involved are so much more than the crimes, and they're connected to the crimes. But it's it's characters on a on a level that's so detailed and so emotionally intricate, and then given physical form and momentum and all the technical elements that sort of turn that into something you know still quite unique.
0: Yes, and so unique in a in a genre that sometimes is very tired. And like, if you just looked archetype, like just on paper on archetypes, you're like, this is a straightforward thing. There's a bad guy and he has a crew and there's a good guy and he has a crew. And yes, they have families and you just, and that's, I think that's, it's almost like the paint by numbers heat ripoffs we've seen echoing through since since 95 you know you see the paint by numbers versions come out and they're like we're gonna have the crew and the good guy and the bad guy and they're gonna try and say cool shit to each other and you're like that's not what this is <laughs> you just want to just want to shake whoever the screenwriter is that's not what it is you got you haven't been watching the same movie as the rest of us that's not what it is i'm looking at you den of thieves but we're not going to go to that. um so yeah like that's you know that's what's so great here and 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 like you said, even in this scene where we see the real dark consequences, it's about thirty seconds from about thirty seconds onward, it's it's that spraying scene. Here, I just love I've actually got it on the frame. It's about eleven seconds in. When Neil gets to Chris, so Robert De Niro gets to the awesome Val Kilmer, like Chris is hit so bad that he doesn't it's like on his face, he can't get up. Ooh. And what's so great in this little moment is that like it's that just perfect balance of like you invest being completely and wholly invested in these characters. It's like, Neil's like, get up. And you want Chris to get up. Like, there's this great tension. It's only like a second, the split second of him not quite being able to get up and Neil literally getting him to safety. That is just so perfect. Here, he's like, get up. And he lifts him up, drags him up. We already know how heavy that money is. Those money bags on their back and Vincent tearing down, you know, Neil will Neil will succeed even if he has to carry his crew out of there himself and two bags of money and a machine gun. This guy can't be stopped.
1: I always wonder though, you know, is part of Neil's not panic, but Neil's absolute determination there the knowledge that if Chris doesn't try, if there's even a few seconds where it goes into doubt, does. The, you know we'll draw the line even on chris at some point i mean it's a it's a long that line
0: is, that is a great question you, you know it's something that it's it's the
1: um because he would he would have a long line but when it when he crossed it that's that would be it
0: i think it's the difference i think you ask an awesome question and i think heat fans who've been watching this crew and watching this movie and especially some of the great interplay with the guys when they're actually wrestling over whether we're going to pursue the heist at all mm. like chris's assertion and and his dedication to the heist for what he's personally invested in i think makes neil more likely to pick him up there to say you've got to, you've got to come with me whereas michael michael doesn't ever seem like a guy who's smart enough to deal like chris is smart enough to deal And wheel and deal and get himself out of a problem. He's literally the only character in this career that survives. So, hashtag spoilers. I'm not, I shouldn't even say it, but you know, he survives this movie, but you almost think like, if that's Michael, would Neil have just put a bullet in his head? Probably. Because Michael seems like the guy who's never gonna like, if they just shot Michael in the kneecap, Michael's not the guy who's going to wheel and deal then. He's gonna like fire the gun until they until they kill him. Like he feels like Mm. that guy. So I think it's a great question. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know how much in the vice Neil felt like he was then. But I think maybe the Neil at this time of the movie would never have that would have never crossed his mind. But maybe that mad Neil that comes firing out of that tunnel, you know, myopic Mm. to his programming. About having to having to seek out that revenge, even when he's home home free. You know, he's repeating the words that Nate says to him. I think that Neil
1: mm.
0: maybe would have made a different decision in that. But it's great. Look, if you guys are listening to this and you're heat nuts, I would love to know. Like at Sam Screen's, um, at Blake is Batman, like hit us up and think, you know. How far are we away from Neil putting a bullet in Chris in that moment, and picking up a bag and just taking two bags of cash to the car? I don't know. I, maybe, yeah, maybe in his philosophy, I don't think at that moment he could have, but I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility with him. You know, he walks the heat's coming around the corner. It's coming around fast.
1: I must say, their dedication to holding onto those bags is is you know they're like physically attached to their bodies. <laughs> yes. uh, yeah, you know it's it's you know it's second nature to them it's it's you know it's almost like everything they've invested in in their careers and everything they've done is sort of in those bags and to to let them go now is to sort of let go and and sort of fail almost it's it's you know they going to drag and carry and you know and then watching al pacino who's done i don't think he did so much running since uh, serpico serpico is you know, the, the last one he's ever run in that i can yeah, remember or maybe
0: pops. or maybe bounding up and down the bank in dog day that's the last time you've ever seen him bounce. Oh, I'm
1: trying to think. He does did he... run away from the British in revolution, but I don't, you know. No. none of anyone wants to remember that.
0: <laughs> no one does. You, you're the last person, the last person that remembers. Yeah, carrying that torch for us all. No, yeah, it's, this is a, a really funny um, and physical performance by Pacino. He's like, he's like the, you know, the, the anti Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise who demands that a run is in his rider for every film. Um, Patina's not that guy. But here he's he's bounding down the street. I, I kind of love that, don't you? Like that authenticity of him slightly being huffed and puffed and not up to it. I, I kind of... I think that sometimes is... You know, that's what the allure is for, like, the great action movies of all time. It's like that whole, that John McClane thing of, like, he's not equipped, he's slightly portly, he's losing his hair, he's treading on glass. It's like all those elements that add humanity and layers and, like, really specific, this isn't a guy who's super fit and can't just do this. I love that about the whole of this crew. You know, they know how to use, some of them look more proficient with weapons, some of them more tactical, but they're not like these guys. They're not like this crew. You know, going to gun ranges and rehearsing, and and that's what's so great about man. He's like he didn't let the actors do that. He didn't. He didn't take Pacino and Co. to nearly as much gunplay ranges <laughs> as these guys. He wanted them to look like different animals in this whole sequence, and I think in these scenes they look so different.
1: Yeah, well, I think I think Vince, Vincent's strength is his authority. Yes, you know, so much of the film, his command is verbal, his ability <laughs> to project to. To, to have to carry that force like the the stick that he carries
0: <laughs> yes. of being
1: of being you know in robbery homicide and being able to do what he wants to most of the people he deals with and then you know now it's like well now you're on the street so you know and it's back to his youth almost you know i mean i mean in a way vincent is a is a veteran for a cop i mean you know maybe he's getting towards the 25 year the twenty twenty five year mark you know yeah. retirement age you know not not everyone is sort of running as hard, you know, mentally and physically at that at that point in their career as he is, you know. And it's, you know, I think there's that reference early on to, to you know, his early work, I think, back east and, um, you know, the maniacs he took down then. And it's like, it's sort of like, well, is this almost like a last roll of the dice for Vincent? You know, he sort of comes back to his youth almost in a way that, because of Neil, because of that that sense of duality.
0: Yes. he's he's, And it's like when you think about a career, like you said, if he's at the 25-year mark, because he'd be 45 in this, if he's at the 25-year mark in his career, wouldn't that make him like a really exceptionally high-ranking officer if he'd stayed in the same place? So it's kind of that like, you know, it's they never say it, but the action's the juice. So like moving to another state, moving to another jurisdiction, you know, allows him to be still on the ground still with the potential that for all the crazy pace that he sets himself and the you know staying awake for 48 hours and now we know secretly bumping cocaine and all these uh and these things to keep his to keep himself awake um which i empathize with as a dad of two under oh no one's over two now but you know as a two (laughs) two under two to maintain the the pace um you know in this moment, like you said, like that's the vitality. Like, oh crap, I'm actually going to wield a gun here. And you know, previous past in the core, I think it, when Neil's flicking through Vincent's paperwork, it was you know military experience. It's even further mm-hmm. back. It's like even if you say he was five years in the military and then twenty years in it, and he he's, he should be a police captain by now. He shouldn't be running around on the streets like like these guys. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think, and it's the streets that get him. And I think he, you know, basically, you'd have to think that he's probably exited previous jobs under a cloud
0: yeah you
1: know he probably has the reputation for getting the job done and the reputation for cutting corners probably earlier on or you know so I think, that's, probably- I think
0: that's chris nolan's view i think that's chris nolan's view that's my 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 thing for everyone who's like the dark knight is Heat. i'm like yes you're correct the dark knight is probably the best the best heat remake or heat riff we've ever seen but i think chris nolan made the like he, he, Chris Nolan is like tipped over the edge of he loves the people who are like duplicitous to themselves. Like that's his favorite thing is his, his great theme in all of his works and I'm not doing a podcast on that but if you guys want to just like get into a conversation <laughs> on Twitter we can do that but I think that that's what he really finds so that I think that insomnia is a projection of what he thinks would happen to a Vincent Hanna once he had no no one formidable left which is that he would find someone that he couldn't put a pin in and he would And he would cut a corner. But I think Michael Mann is way too much of a romantic and has such, such staunch ethics that he'd be like, no, Vincent's the guy that never cuts corners. In fact, he probably does it to the detriment of his career. So he'd be shifting a jurisdiction to go work somewhere else because he told someone to go stick it because he didn't want to do that, which I think is what I feel more like for Vincent. But like that insomnia guy is, is like the, is like the worst nightmare future for this Vincent Hanna. You know, the guy who'll cut corners and then he regrets it and then would rather die knowing that his legacy wasn't that. Like, just like, look, I did the bad thing. You don't, please don't be like me. Like, that's the, his redemption, if you like. In, in do some- you,
1: again, I mean, we're kind of spoiling it here, but, but we know everyone's kind of aware of where we're going. Do you see, do you see Vincent staying in the force uh, yeah. after, after the finale? Yeah. He goes back Back, I back to the squad room the next day.
0: I don't think he knows anything else. I don't think he knows anything else, Craig. That's the tragedy. The tragedy is that he'll he'll go out and just be he'll go out and be amazing, and he'll just throw everything. He, he won't have any he won't have anything tethering him to life again. And then he'll probably go through some stuff and meet a nice girl. He'll he'll meet a nice girl who'll who will think that they can change him, and he'll want to be changed because he'll have his crew around him, and then he'll. He'll go down the downslope of another marriage and hopefully be looking for something else. You know, like I, I, I think he, I don't think he knows anything else. And that's the tragedy. He's going to go back and he's going to find the person that he was absolutely most aligned with in the universe philosophically is dead at his hand. And that's what's so devastating. I just think he doesn't, he's never going to know what's going to, he, 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 he's never going to know it. He's too mm. pro, I think they're both, that's what the, inherent tragedy of this movie is i think these guys and their programming and their instincts or whatever you want to call it it's like that whatever philosophy or reflexes or habits they've built for themselves they just can't escape it they've shackled themselves to them even if it's to their own it's it's the thing that's called it's the thing that's kept them surviving it's the thing that's kept the momentum it's the thing that kept them so sharp and gives them the most like kinetic like physical physiological joy you know like plugged in like this is the thing that gets my synapses firing this is the thing that gets my endorphins going I just don't think they know and like that's the tragedy is like that they fit themselves into this program that's allowed them to survive and now they're constantly trying to hack it so that they can sort of go and slip into these other things like I want to be a better person I want to be a maybe a father figure I want to maybe be a husband I want to maybe you know have a, a, a whirlwind wild Romance, because I've got all the money in the world. Um, you know, I've <laughs> just robbed a bank for thirteen million. I've hopefully I've got a little bit of cash stashed away. You know, I think the thing it goes a
1: long way. New Zealand
0: <laughs> at this time, it was like forty-eight New Zealand dollars for one US dollar in ninety-five. But <laughs> I think I think that that's the that's what I think is the tragedy of both these guys is that whatever's kept them surviving and made them so good is like how they're trying to personally hack it and you do it yourself and it's that's what's relatable it's like you you might have a rhythm of something that has got you somewhere that you're really good at and then you spend time trying to go how do I break out of that to like change my patterns of behavior or change my instincts or broaden my horizon or something and I just don't think these guys can do it but I don't know I don't know
1: it's yeah it's like it's that magnetic thing it's like magnets are attracting and putting apart and you know they're made, they're linking them at the start of the film is is inherently destructive for them because yes. they're a reflection of each other and you know and that's the great thing about this whole sequence is it's the is putting them together physically. I mean, you know, it's it's been so rare to that point and and to sort of, you know, across a parking lot, which I think and I must say, you know, anyone who's been to Los Angeles will appreciate parking lots are ubiquitous. <laughs> yes. You know, the classic you know, market and buildings on three sides of the parking lot with the road on the fourth side. You know, they're ubiquitous in Los Angeles, and and you know they keep popping up in this film and to, and to put a and to put a well, I wouldn't call it a shootout, just to put a you know to put a, a blasting in one. It's just so perfectly set for that city and its and its landscape and its spaciousness.
0: Yes, and and like you said, that great thing of putting like these two, I don't know, like magnetic forces against each other it's like where you really when the closer you put them together it's almost the further the further are they are apart as like philosophically because like there's this great thing where neil is for neil's protection he's he's holding he's literally protecting um chris over one shoulder and protecting his prize and then the other hand he's just like laying waste to everyone and Vincent's got his gun pointed up in the air and trying to get people down like he's the one who's actually sacrificing himself potentially saying get down, get down, get down, get down like you need to get out of the way get out of the way and even his posture even though he's a, sh- he's a shorter dude as in Pacino than the other the other um, actors here who are playing the cops there's something about his awareness and his physicality as he's running through like there are people like trying to hide behind their trolleys these other guys in their l- in their short sleeve shirts just look like just look like big doughy targets for a machine gun is what they look like when they're around this corner they just look like they're going to get shot Vincent darts around the corner guns up and his thing is get down get down even to the other cops get down get down
1: mm. he know he knows they're out of they're outgunned and they're probably out of place almost that they're and that they're the first target for, for Neil um, I'm just trying to remember, you know, as had anyone heard an automatic rifle come out, the sound of one being duplicated in Foley or whatever, had it ever sounded as harsh and cataclysmic as it did the first time you saw heat in a big cinema? I don't think, I don't, I really think that's the kind of thing man, just again on a technical level, would have just pushed to the max and got so right, just that sort of, you know the way the during this whole sequence the gunfire is just relentless and it's got that it almost has that destructive smash to it when it hits something oh, it's yeah. not it's not just a pop you know often often i think some filmmakers go the other direction of i want a gun i want gunfire to be very prosaic to be almost normal a pop but in heat it's it's absolutely just the velocity is there so much and and i I just remember i don't think anyone had ever captured that or duplicated that on screen before this film came out and i I, you know i imagine there's a whole whole subset of of sound editors and foley artists who sort of you know in, in gunfire terms this is their holy grail or their old testament
0: yeah like the i had the amazing um uh, Vashi Nedomansky, who's an mm-hmm. editor on the last uh, one of the last episodes to go to air, and he was talking about Bill Goldenberg, who's one of the four editors on Heat. So we had Dove Honig, obviously, the amazing Pascal Buber, Pat Buba, um, and Tom Rolf. But Bill Goldenberg, William Goldenberg, was one of the other editors, and they talked about when these guys were assembling the scene. Man was using the live fire rounds in, you know, the the. Um, the sound that they recorded on set, they were very particular to record the sound because they wanted to they wanted to replicate or attempt to replicate the just the raw the roar of the gunfire reverberating off of the concrete in the grounds, and so when the editors had that temp sound, which you would all expect, they're like, you know, most of the most of that gets chucked away they all started having that and then they had the Foley guys attempt to recreate it you know to tweak it to play with it to make it heightened and every time they had a Foley person do it it just didn't work and the editors are going no the temp sound is the, the, the what you guys recorded on set is exactly what needs to be in this movie and so it was like as part of that you know that hyper-crazy preparation of Michael Mann. Like, he's the guy who's recording all the temp sounds because he wants to recreate it later. That He invariably then created the thing that they could... They used as the bass. They're like, this is the only thing that worked for all this gunfire. Like, it, nothing sounds like the gunfire that you're hearing in heat because it they hadn't bothered recording it, you know? Foley artists... It, from Vashi's uh, point of view as an editor, he's like, as, a, as an editorial consultant and sound editor, it would probably take you about six weeks to two months, even for six minutes of that with Foley Artists to try and recreate the right flashes, the right, you know, assault rifle hits, the right hits on all those cars to make all those sounds work. If they were to try and recreate them without doing it live, but live, they're like, you know, they just they just found it. That's why he fired that. That's why he had them firing those, you know, those dummy rounds because they wanted to hear what it was really like. So it's just one of those things. I think the more I'm learning about it, it's like halfway between an accident, and also then going, no, this is actually the way you need to do it. Like people are people are so, um, like you said, crazy. People are so. I just think of like a Quentin Tarantino movie when a gun fires in a Quentin Tarantino movie or a head explodes in a Quentin Tarantino movie. I don't imagine that that's what a head really sounds like when it explodes nor a gun actually firing because it just feels like everything's hyper exaggerated and that's kind of part of the fun. But it's like Michael Mann is not a guy that has that in his movies. He's the guy that's like in Public Enemies is like, no, I'm going to really have these people firing Tommy guns and probably recording the sound live so that then when we go and cut it into the movie the same the same impact happens like in that great shootout scene at the lodge at at night in public enemies you know even if you're not a huge um, fan of the film it's still insanely striking it is insane it has that same insane oral quality that this has you know those bullets firing ripping up trees to shreds hitting the lodge hitting windows it's just carnage and chaos and you know Danny Boyle used to say cinemas seventy percent sound, and I think in these action sequences, without these guns firing and hearing what the real thing sounds like, it just it does it's not it is literally not the same thing.
1: Mm. I love that you said reverberation because I think one of the recurring things in Heat is this idea of, of of the space of LA and how it's filled. Yes, and in this case, it's it's filled with gunfire and ricochet, and that sort of that building effect that sort of wave of noise that comes with it you know so so often there it's a physical feeling of the space uh in the city or in specific locations but here it's the it's the sound filling the openness and sort of you know that that gentility of la that sort of laid-back nature is just sort of stripped back and just and or you're left with that sort of that clatter and clang and absolute sort of metallic sort of mayhem yes you know and that changes the space suddenly you know that's that's almost a, a physical representation of how the parking lot has become something completely different for those few minutes
0: yes and for and and even and even in those few minutes with all the carnage and all and everything happening at about 56 seconds into this 56 seconds into this minute just before it actually wraps up you see again Vincent leaned down. Oh, it's actually 50 seconds, 51, 52. In real time, almost, he's kneeling down to check the cop who's been hit. People are crouching behind trolleys. There's an old lady into the right of frame looking terrified. Uh, a, a shopping center attendant hiding behind a trolley, looking very scared in, in just to Vincent's left shoulder. And then he gets up and takes a few pot shots and just misses Chris for the final seconds of the minute. And it's just that that like final thing again of Niels has hit another person, killed another person, about to kick someone out of their <laughs> about to kick someone out of their car, and right there you know those reverberations, those sounds people are just you know huddling, huddling into getting even getting back inside. I just love that there's a there's a shot. I can't remember where where it is in a minute, but I think it just typifies everything you talked about, like changing the whole nature of the parking lot it's it's like 20 seconds in. They're about to run around to this. It's a little bit after the coda shot with the sizzling metal and the cops that have been chewed up. Vincent's running and there's a trolley at about the 30 second mark with a woman that passes past and they're kind of they're just like hiding behind their trolleys. They see these guys run past um and there's like a woman hiding behind her shopping, h- shopping hiding behind the trolleys, and they can see them. I just love those little touches of like people who have no idea what to do, because you wouldn't.
1: How- yeah, completely inexplicable moment. You <laughs> yeah. know, your, your worst Los Angeles sort of nightmare come come to life, really. God. And 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 then the lovely twist of that it's it's a it's a bunch of white guys in suits, uh, <laughs> yes. you know. It's, it's not NWA, uh, you know, no. acting out some some hip-hop lyric. It's, you know, it's a professional crew. It's, um, you know, and i am going to say one of the things I noticed watching this scene closely again was, you know, and again, it's a technical side note, but just the excellent work of all the extras. Obviously, the, oh. the first and second AD have just, you know, just coached everyone really well. And, you know, they're the kind of things where after a couple of takes, extras slip. And, you know, you know, there's going to be a lot of takes of any, any scene. In <laughs> but they're just on it, you know, they must have been on it every take and just to give them those choices of editing because in so many shots, they're in backgrounds, they're arrayed sort of left to right. So, you know, again, they just – you just get that sort of authenticity off, off even the facial expressions of people for a split second.
0: Yeah, that I, I, you're so spot on. It's because – and and even the, the shot – Um, there's like a brief frame that comes up here and I actually had it freeze frame just before. It's after the police officer gets hit with a shotgun. He goes down and Vincent, there's an old woman who's like, is just seen for like half a frame just now that we've just passed. And just as Vincent is kneeling, there's this old woman who's just here on the right of frame i'll see if i can frame her up because uh, as craig and i are watching but she's just here on the right and she's holding her neck like in such a in that authentic way of like she's holding her neck and her heart like oh my god and she looks like bewildered and frightened that this guy is now down and like You know, this is an extra who's having to do this over and over again, as you said. I think it's a funny thing is like everyone who does this show now, especially with a bit of technical nows, it's just like, oh, yeah, you know, Michael Mann made these people do this 10, 10, 15, every single shot we're seeing of all these multiple shots. He just made them do it 10 or 15 times each time. But, yeah, still to have that same energy, that intensity... You know there's fun games you watch in bad movies that you can really enjoy with your friends where like extras stare straight down the barrel of the camera break the scene someone's doing something wrong you know people like to look at those things and nitpick, but in these scenes it's like the you know the carnage is writ large over everyone's faces mm. metallic no, mayhem
1: yeah it's 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 the immersiveness of heat i suppose the 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 sense that. You know the film is larger than life, but yet it can absolutely move into individual lives. You know, for a second, for a minute, forever, depending on the ramifications of what they've seen or heard or done. Yes. You know, it, it's that back and forth, I suppose. You know that, that it's where we, I suppose, it's it's where we get that sense that man, in in effect, is a, is a you know has a god's eye view of all this in a way, as much as he's loves intimacy. And but you know that that sense that he is above it all in some sense yeah, because, all- e- because everyone is below him in some other sense
0: yeah he knows he knows what's happening, he knows what's happening as these people were as these guys were cutting on video the cutting on video these four amazing editors, craftsmen were all cutting on video <laughs> at the time before they did some test shoots they they were they were all just watching it scene by scene and would require Michael to walk to one office. Explain what was happening around it when he was giving notes, then walk to the next office, and Michael Mann's literally got the whole movie in his head. <laughs> like walking around to these four editors. Some of them are seeing some scenes in sequence. Okay, cool. Yep, we're all editing together. Yep. All right, great. Here's the here's the test version of the film. We'll cut this, we'll cut that. Um but yeah. Look, folks, I think that's the perfect way to end. Michael Mann, the architect. Um, of all this I love Craig's phrase metallic mayhem um, as we're here at the end of the 112th minute you know this movie 112 minutes like it's a 170 minute long movie and and the whole time we've been saying that in this project it's like 170 odd minutes but it's 164 or 65 minutes pre-credits and so you know we've we've got like 50 50 50-ish minutes to go in this movie and you know we're really there's still so much but it's happened there's so much left to happen and it happens you know if you said a hundred you know if you said two hours of all the things that have already happened as we look back you know so there's some, some quiet seems contemplative but there's so much jam-packed i think into this how this is structured this entire film There's so much jam-packed into this last like 50 minutes It's it's just insane like there's the fallout of the heist itself there's all the different characters moving onto all their different moves there's Neil's team and crew pursuing the van Sant and crew there's Vincent's team trying to make their final moves to see if they can you know to, you know to finally just snatch them just uh, as they're about to get them into their clutches before they leave there's just so much and um it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to Craig. Matheson about it again we've talked about some pretty quiet scenes some pretty uh you know pretty low-key scenes but we've uh, gotten to really dig into the carnage of this movie right in the middle together so I really appreciate you coming on the show again Craig thank you so much
1: uh it's it's always a pleasure Blake and I'm, I'm just you know hoping I'm going to sneak in one more time before the end
0: well you you uh, that is not a that is not a a, a hope um, hope is <laughs> I had a boss that one time worked with me who said hope is not a strategy and that is not a strategy you're a part of this crew you'll be back craig 100% i can't wait to chat we'll we'll organize that off air um, guys binger.com.au, subscribe to craig's amazing newsletter he's called it season 2 but it's basically like 52 weekly newsletters about everything that's happening, streaming in Oz. And even if you're not in Oz and you just want to read Craig's great capture reviews of everything that's going on, you need to so you can stay up to date um, on everything that's happening. Um, At CM Screens on Twitter is the best place you can find Mr. Craig Matheson. Thank you again, mate. Really appreciate it. Um, And and an all-star of One Heat Minute back again. Um, I've been Blake Howard. You can always find us at oneheatminute.com. Everything you need to know about the show is there. And if you want to reach out, it's mail at oneheatminute.com as well. We've had some amazing correspondence and some great folks. In fact, I had a great note that I'll, um, uh, one of the amazing listeners who I read out uh, in the Oscar Hillstrom podcast, which is 104, um, minute 104, John Glynn was, uh, we read out his great note. And John is currently binging the show, but he hasn't actually caught up to where we'd said it. But his friend who recommended the show was already ahead. So he's like, John, they're reading out your email you need to skip ahead to minute 104 so he had to break his discipline of listening to the show in order to listen so um folks please um if you if you we have had some more correspondence in an upcoming episode i'll make sure i chuck it in and dissect it with the guests and give you guys some shout outs but stay in touch with us um as you know we're we're in january of 2019 as we're recording this and in less than six months time we will be at the culmination of Michael Mann's 1995 crime Episode So I can't wait to share the last 50 minutes of action with you guys. And then um, we'll have a nice breathe together as we just listen to the credits roll and Moby's God moving over the face of waters. But I've been Blake Howard, Craig Matheson, thank you again. And uh, we'll catch you on another episode of One Heat Minute just around the corner. And remember, if you hear metallic mayhem as you're coming out of your shopping center. Go back inside. (laughs) Don't hide behind an empty shopping cart. It will not save you. See you guys.